0: Welcome to Multifamily AP 360, the show where we discuss 360-degree views on mindset, passive, and active multifamily investment. If you're looking for tips and strategies, or just want to learn from the experiences of others, both good and bad, then listen on. This is Multifamily AP 360 with your host, Ramakrishna Chunchu.
1: Today's our guest is Todd Wilson from Crack the Credit Code. Welcome, Todd. Thank you, Rama. Thanks for having me on. Thank you very much. Yeah, nice to meet you. Thank you. Share me a little bit more about yourself, Todd.
0: Well, I've been uh, dealing with finances for pretty much my entire life. I mean, even as a kid, you know. But, you know, I got into the mortgage industry in 2001. And that kind of solidified things being in the finance arena for me because, well, obviously here I am still doing it, you know, over 20 years later. Yeah. You know, aside from that, I mean, I've got a family, I've got five kids, you know, and of course a wife to go with the five kids. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, I don't know what else you want to know about me. I mean, you know, I've been a master swimmer, which doesn't mean that I'm masterful at it. It just means that I'm old enough to swim with, not kids.
1: <laughs> sure, sure. Absolutely. So let's jump into our main topic. So crack the credit code. So you wrote a book on crack the credit code, right? So share me background behind starting this one, writing this book. Why? What is the necessary behind writing this book? You know,
0: it actually started for me around 2007, 2008, because this being in the mortgage industry and having the market crash, it just made it really, really acutely painful that I had mismanaged my credit leading up to it because my income crashed and I had overutilized my credit. And I got into a situation where I couldn't pay my obligations. And, you know, between the income going down and the expenses being too high, I was in a situation where I went through bankruptcy and foreclosure. I basically lost everything. And knowing that credit is what got me into the mess, primarily, I decided I wasn't going to use credit at all. And so for three years, I didn't use credit, not one bit, paid cash for everything. And then I started to run into the barriers to that and found out, hey, I can't buy a house, I can't buy a car, I couldn't even rent a car or get a hotel room without a lot of trouble. And so I went, Okay, well, now I need to figure out how to get back into the credit game. And to do that, I knew a lot of other people in the mortgage industry who supposedly knew about credit and was hoping somebody knew more about it than I did. Well, unfortunately, most of them didn't. And most of, in fact, knew less about it. And so I had a really hard time getting advice until finally somebody told me how I could get my first new credit card. And I didn't. Think it was going to work, but I didn't really have any other options and I didn't have anything to lose because I already had no credit. So I applied and I was kind of shocked that I got approved. And so I got my credit card and I started using it every month and then paying it off every month. And after a few months, I checked my credit and my score was actually higher than it had ever been before. And so I went, okay, I'm onto something here, but I don't want to make the same mistakes I did before. And so I started doing research to figure out, okay, what did I miss before? What was I not taught before? And started putting together all the pieces and got from very, you know, a lot of different sources, got little pieces, bits and pieces here and there, and started putting together this system of how I could handle my own credit. But while I was doing it, there's one thing that I found out that shocked me and made it obvious that I had to share this information. And that was that at that time, there were 87 million Americans that had bad credit. And there were another 45 million Americans that had no credit score at all. So between those two groups of people, that was over half the adult population in the United States had bad credit or no credit. And obviously, these are people that either don't have the information or didn't want to look at it or had been told wrong information because I know I've been told wrong information more than once about credit. So that's why I wrote the book in the first place.
1: Thank you for sharing the story behind writing that book. Share me the secrets that you learned while increasing your credit and now writing this book. What are the secrets you learned? Can you share that?
0: Well, they're they're not actually secrets so much because I put them all in the book. But (laughs) really what it boils down to is it's not just looking at what the factors are that impact your credit score. But it's how they work together and how to use each one of them to your benefit. Yeah. You know, as an example of that, it's fairly well known that the biggest credit scoring factor is your payment history. But the second biggest impact is from your credit card usage or your account balances available credit. And that's something that trips people up a lot. And it really tripped me up especially at the planning phase, which is kind of left out of these things. So let's say you've got $10,000 available on credit cards and you're using $3,000 of that. So you're at 30% usage, which is kind of that benchmark for having a good credit score or having an ideal credit score. have 30% or less on credit card usage. So everything's going fine, but let's say you're a small business owner and you need to buy something that's going to make you more money. But it could take some time because it's not an instant thing. You don't just, you know, spend $3,000 and automatically you got $6,000. It's you spend the $3,000 and, you know, two, three, four, five, six months, maybe even a year later, you start to see the results and it might be a huge increase for what you spent, but it's not immediate. And so let's say you now put that $3,000 on a credit card. Now you're at 60% usage. So your credit score drops by a pretty big margin. And not only that, but now you go to apply for more credit because you need more for one reason or another. You can't get more credit cards because they say, well, your score is too low and your usage is too high, which means you're a bad credit risk. And if you go in knowing this and you go, "Okay, I've got 10,000 available. I need to use another 3,000, but I want to keep my usage at no more than 30 percent. So I need to go and get $10,000 more available credit before I spend that $3,000. And so when you do that, you've actually increased your ability to keep your credit scores where you want them, not just in the short term, but also in the long term, because now you've got more available credit and you don't run into this conundrum, for lack of a better word, because somebody gives you $10,000 in available credit, logically, you would never think using all of it would be a problem. They trusted me with $10,000 credit. Why can't I use all of it? Why am I going to get a penalty for it, right? Yeah. (laughs) So knowing that little aspect of it, you can control it and plan ahead, whether it's for a business thing or you need car repairs or, you know, whatever else you're going to do. Maybe you're having a baby and you've got to buy a bunch of stuff. You know, you need to buy a crib and you need to buy, you know, clothes and diapers and, you know, and your wife is not going to sit there and go, well, we'll just handle it later. No, she wants it now. She wants it before the baby arrives, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. We'll stop there. Like, is there any myths around credit score? I know how to use credit cards. I know how much, you know, those kind of stuff.
0: There's a, probably a lot of myths, but before I get into the number one myth, I want to touch on what you just mentioned as far as credit cards. And there's a lot of things about them that aren't necessarily things that will jump out and become obvious until somebody tells you, hey, this doing this will help. The number one thing I would say about that is when you're paying down your credit card debt, Pay the highest interest rate ones first. And that may seem obvious to some, but a lot of times people go, well, you know, that's a smaller card. It's a smaller balance. I'm not so worried about it. But paying the higher interest saves you money first. Yep. So you pay them, even if it's got an easier payment to make, knock that one out first.
1: Yep.
0: Because in the long run, you definitely save money doing that. Yep. Another thing about credit cards is when you pay your bill makes a difference and this is something a lot of people do. They use their credit cards to buy everything. Yeah. You know, we now use credit cards to buy our groceries, to pay our utilities, you know, pay whatever you can, unless they charge you a fee for using your credit card. Right. Yeah. So, so when you get your bill at the end of the month, you know, you got that $5,000 credit limit and you've charged it up to 4,500. And then you pay it, you know, if, if that's your setup, you okay, you pay it because that's what you're, expenses are that month and you pay the whole thing and you're thinking oh my balance is zero. but when you look at your credit report, it shows your balance usually is going to be the same as what it shows up as on your statement. So even though you've already paid it it's going to hurt your score. And so what you want to do is actually pay it before the statement is generated. So if the statement is generated on the 20th of the month, they around the 16th or 17th pay your credit card balance. And that way when the bill comes out and it gets reported to the credit bureaus it shows up with a lower balance and a higher credit score
1: yeah that's a good point point. and there are some services or options available to increase credit score right so would you share a little bit more about that
0: services there are actually a lot of different things you can do to improve your credit score yeah you know obviously you know making your payments on time for an extended period of time will help increase your credit score Keeping your credit card balances low will help keep your credit scores good. You know, not having your credit pulled unnecessarily, because if you have to apply for credit, you have to apply for credit. You know, some people get this mindset, which is actually promoted heavily. You don't ever want your credit pulled, which is unreasonable because there are times when you need to have your credit pulled. Like, let's say you're applying for a mortgage. They're going to pull your credit. They have to.
1: Because
0: yeah. if you don't let them pull your credit, you're not getting that mortgage. And then you're not going to buy the house Yeah, unless somehow you're one of these people that has enough money to pay cash for a house, which is not most of us. That's just a little bit of what you can do. But you kind of touched on one thing that I, I wanted to get back to anyway, which is the credit inquiries, which is actually probably the biggest myth regarding credit scores, which is that you can have your credit score drop by 50 points by having your credit pulled. Yeah. Well, the fact is 10% 10% of your credit score is made up by credit inquiries, which means your credit is being pulled and new accounts. So those are combined into that 10%. And you know, depending on which credit scoring model, you know, cause there are varying ones and they have different uh, scales, you know, low score to high score, but generally you're looking at about 55 points maximum for that 10% of your score. Yeah. So, If you have your credit pulled one time, there is no way possible that's going to drop your score 50 points.
1: Yeah.
0: It's just not going to happen. It can drop. And if you have very little on your credit, you know, one or two accounts and only six or eight months of credit history, it's going to have more of an effect than if you've got 20 years of credit history and you've had credit all along, several accounts. You know, in that case, it'll have much lower effect, but it can still have an effect. It's just not going to be a huge one. So what really happens is when you check your credit score, let's say you go to one of the credit bureaus or you look at Credit Karma and they tell you your credit score is 720. And you're like, okay, good. I qualify for this loan I want to get. And then you apply for that loan and they say, well, your credit score is 670. You're like, what? 670? How is that possible? It was 720 just this morning when I checked my credit. It It dropped 50 points because you pulled it. Well, two things on that. Number one, it didn't drop until after they pulled it. It didn't drop while they pulled it. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it's not going to show up any difference in score. It's not going to show up until after they pulled it, first of all. Second of all, what you're really looking at is a different scoring model because there are different scoring models that are used for different uses, different purposes. For example, you have the one that the credit bureaus will sell to you. You know, Equifax, Experian, Trains Union, they will all sell you your credit score. And that's one score. If you apply for a mortgage, it's a different model. So your score is different. You get a credit card application. Again, it's a different score. And the one at Credit Karma, it's different again. It's not even a FICO score. And so what's really happening is it's kind of like you're looking at two different scales. You know, it's like if you have a scale that goes from one to a thousand and you go, "Okay, I'm here at 700. And then all of a sudden somebody says, "Okay, we're going to move you over and we're going to score you on this score that goes from 300 to 850. And by the way, this one from 300 to 850 also has different rules that apply to it. So your scores are going to be different anyway. You can't really compare them because it's not apples to apples. And so that's really like the biggest thing that people run into when they get really upset that somebody's pulled their credit and their score dropped. They just looked at a different place. And from doing mortgages for as long as I have, I can tell you the mortgage scores tend to be lower than the scores that people pull themselves. They tend to be lower than the ones for credit cards, and they tend to be lower than the ones for car loans.
1: Yeah, good to know that. And other question is like, how long Typically, it will take to increase that, you know, credit repair or increase in credit. What's the typical timeline? Six months, one year, you know, one to two years.
0: It really varies depending on what is on your credit report and what needs to be changed.
1: Yeah. You know, for example,
0: if your credit scores are lower, but you got all your payments are on time. And the real reason that they're being driven low is because you had a high credit card balances. Pay down the credit card balances. And your scores will go up pretty quickly. Yeah. But if you have a bunch of late payments, then it's going to take some time. It could take six months, 12 months, or possibly more, depending on what happens between now and then. You know, But if it's only because of late payments and all your balances are good, but you've just had late payments, maybe you had a month where something happened and you had three late payments. Like, let's say June, you had three late payments and your score dropped 100 points between June and July which could definitely happen. Well, you catch the accounts up. And then, you know, within six months, you'll see that they're definitely higher, not back to where they were. But after a year, if you continue to make all your payments on time and not had any other things that have happened to drive your scores down, then you should be fine. Your credit score should be pretty close to where they were before. And, you know, that brings up another point that you kind of alluded to on the credit repair, which is that, You know, credit repair, some companies are better at it than others, obviously. You know, some, you know, they've got satisfied customers. Others have customers that shouldn't be satisfied, whether they are or not. I mean, I've had clients, multiple clients come to me and say they've been paying for credit repair for two years, and they're paying about $100 a month, and their credit scores are in the low 600s. And so here, they've been paying all this money. They've paid about $2,400 over the last two years. And they've probably had some things removed, but certainly nothing that's making a big difference in their score, which you actually look at the report, I can show you, this is what's happening, but not having a report in front of us to go over. What I can tell you generally is going to happen is these guys may have things removed from their credit report, but they may also have new late payments. But more likely than that, what they're suffering from is they're not establishing new accounts that have a good payment history. Because the thing with the payment history, and this is one of the major flaws with credit repair, is that while it makes up 35% of your score, removing late payments can help your score, but it only accounts for half of that category because you have the late payments and you have the on-time payments. So if you're making on-time payments, that will help boost your score. If you make late payments, that drives them down. So if you remove the late payments, it boosts your score. But if you're not making any on-time payments, then, you know, what do you have to work with? How high is your score going to go and how quickly?
1: So like we have multiple options, right? You can pay minimum payment and you can pay full payment. So if you go with minimum payment, still it will impact overall credit score?
0: No, the payment amount doesn't really impact your score at all. It's really more the balance and your payment history Mm -hmm. that are going to have the biggest effect. So let's say you've got a thousand dollar credit card and they say, we want $30 a month. You pay them $30 a month and it's not going to hurt your score as long as you keep paying $30 a month. What it is going to do is it's going to take you probably about 20 years to pay off that card. Yeah. And with rates being higher than they were before, most credit card statements actually will have a line on them and it might even be required by law that says, if you make this minimum payment, it will take you this long to pay off this credit card. Yep. And I'm sure if you look at them now, compare them to a year ago, the length of time has gotten much bigger. Yeah, You know, instead of 22 years now, it's 26 years. And you will pay this amount, you know, it's probably, I don't know if that's on there, but it ought to be. It's like, okay, you'll pay $300 a month on this $1,000 credit card. You know, within four months, you'll have it paid off, including any interest. And you the fourth payment, you won't even have to pay the full $300. Yeah. But if you pay the minimum payment $30, you're probably going to pay about $5,000 on that card.
1: Yeah. Got it. Any other points you touched in your book?
0: Yeah, there's actually a lot. I mean, there's most of the chapters are pretty short because I didn't want to make it too complicated. I, what, I, what I really want to do is make it simple so that it simplifies a subject that has become far too complex. But touch on credit counseling and why it's usually not the best solution. You know, for example, do you know what credit counseling is? Yep. Okay. And, you know, some people don't know what it is. And so, what it really comes down to is credit counseling is when you have a company that, and usually they're nonprofit, which doesn't mean they're not making any money or charging anything. It just means they're set up as a nonprofit. But what they do is you come to them usually when you're behind on credit card payments or not just credit cards, but any debt payments. And so, you've got these debts you're behind on. You go to them and you say, I have this problem. And they say, Okay. Let's look at all what you've got. And let's say your total monthly outgo on all these bills is $2,000. And you've only got $1,000 you can pay towards it. They say, okay, we're going to negotiate with your creditors. And we're going to get the payments down to $1,000 a month. And we're going to work with them and see if we can get some or all of them to reduce the interest they're charging and may even be able to get some of them down to 0%. And you go, that sounds great. And in some ways it is great because number one thing it does is it takes the pressure off of you because it, they are then the contact for these creditors. Yeah, They're not calling you anymore. They're going to call them. And then you pay them three your $1,000 a month. And this is where the problem comes in. They take the $1,000 and they set this money aside. They go, okay, put this money over here. And it sits there while they're negotiating over here. So they're negotiating with these creditors And then when they start getting agreements is when they start taking the money from here and putting over to here. In the meantime, you're racking up more late payments on your credit report and more late fees. And if you're already 120, 150 days behind, it probably doesn't really make much difference at all. But if you're not that far behind, or I've actually seen this too, where somebody was totally up to date on everything, but it was just... Kind of too too much pressure for them. So they went to credit counseling. And then all of a sudden, everything's late and they had no idea. They came to apply for a mortgage. We pulled their credit and said, Hey, your credit score is 500. Like, no way, my credit score is 750. Well, it's actually not. And you show them their credit report. (laughs) Nobody told them that this is how the counseling people are handling it. And so it actually destroyed their credit. And then it is going to take a long time to rebuild that because they're making payments on these but they don't have the cash reserves now to bring all those current and just fire the credit counseling company if they did they wouldn't have used them in the first place but if you get into a situation where you just can't afford the payments period then you know bankruptcy might be the other option or a lot of credit card companies will settle with you you get behind things get rough and maybe you owe them a thousand dollars you know originally started on 500 now it's a thousand and you're like you know it's all penalties and interest between that 500 and a thousand and so you go to him you say look i don't have the money to pay you i haven't been able to pay you for the last five months and nothing's changing that i can see but i might be able to scrape together three hundred dollars if you'll accept that as a settlement and sometimes they'll take it sometimes they'll counter offer sometimes they'll say, Well, if you can get it to us by Tuesday and you're like, it's Friday, how can I get to you by Tuesday? You know, give me two weeks. And then you might negotiate back and forth and they might work with you. They might not. But if you do that, what you want to do is see if you can get that money together or have a source you can get it from, whether it's, you know, a close friend or family that you can borrow from and then pay them back. Or if it's, you know, selling something, who knows, you know, whatever way you can do it, then that could actually stop the bleeding and, gain you some relief without going through the long drawn out process of credit counseling, which could be a two, three year situation that your credit's just down the toilet for the next three years or more.
1: So is there any way you're helping persons who are having less credit
0: score? Absolutely. The first step really is the book because it's, it's the whole write up of everything that goes into your credit score, how the different factors work together, how to fully understand them you know, going into more detail than what I've gone into with you today and then adding other chapters that pertain to specific situations such as bankruptcy, foreclosure, uh, divorce. I mean, because I don't know about you, but I've seen doing loans, I've seen a lot of people go through a divorce and then come to me and they need a loan and their credit was destroyed. But if they had just that one chapter on divorce before, and they both read it, they can save each other and themselves a lot of financial losses. I mean, you know, divorce is a horrible thing to go through for anybody. But when you add the additional financial aspect to it that can linger because of bad credit, you know, it makes it that much more brutal.
1: Thank you for sharing that. How can listeners can connect with you, Todd?
0: The best way is to go to my website, crackmycredit.com. And it's just all spelled out. Crackmycredit.com, and you can buy my book as an ebook on there. So you get it instantly. You don't have to pay for any shipping or anything. And the other thing, when you do buy the book, you get added to the email list, which means you'll get offers for you know seminars, courses, webinars, that sort of thing. And then also credit strategies that are free that uh, you will get. And of course, you know, if you don't want to get them, you just opt out, and you know that's absolutely your option.
1: Awesome. And thank you very much, Todd. Really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you for insights on you know, lowering the credit score.
0: Well, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it.
1: Yeah, sure.
0: That's the end of this episode of Multifamily AP 360, but we'd love to continue to help you on your journey. Head to ushacapital.com slash podcast to join our email list for more tips and strategies. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. This is Multifamily AP 360 with Ramakrishna Chunchu. We'll see you next time.